Well, good morning, Anthem. Uh, this morning, I usually we do a scripture reading uh, after announcements and transitioning the sermon, which we'll do in a minute. Uh, but this morning, I, I before jumping in, wanted to to the sermon, wanted to update uh, you on a few uh, individuals from Anthem are headed over to the Ukraine or that area. Um, and just wanted to update you on some of those things. And then we haven't really paused to just as a church pray for that situation. So I want to do that before we jump in uh, this morning. Uh, first service, Don and Diane Combs were here. Some of you, you know them. Um, they're members here and they've, uh, they were, they serve with the IMB, which is the International Mission Board uh, for 16 years uh, over in uh, kind of Eastern Europe. Um, for, uh, it came back about five years ago. And so they, in that time, they oversaw a lot of different uh, things. By the way, IMB is kind of like the in international uh, mission arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. We as a church are associated with the Southern Baptist Convention. And so uh, they have been asked by the IMB to go back and help coordinate uh, services that are on the border of Ukraine in Romania, uh, coordinating uh, just needs for refugees as they're fleeing the country. Um, they're at the border, and so they're actually leaving tomorrow. We prayed for them in the first service. Um, and then also uh, Ryan Burke, who some of you will know, um, regular attender here, he's just left this last week. He's coordinating actually evacuation plans within the Ukraine for churches that are in the middle of the hot zone. So he's more of the military arm, and um, but kind of underground helping uh, churches with supply lines, and then also evacuations. And so um, I know that there are several other members connected to our body who potentially will be deployed or moved to that part of the world. And um, I know many of you, your families, their family members and whatnot. Um, and it, it would be good for us then as a body uh, just to take a few minutes to go before the Lord and, and just ask the Lord to go before those individuals, to be at work in that situation there, and just cry out to Him. Um, you will see that that's a lot of what the theme of where John's going to bring us this morning. So let's take a few moments and go before the Lord. Uh, Lord, Lord, I, I think in times like these, where, where can we turn but to your word? Lord, there, there aren't words that are, um, that can capture just the, the angst that we feel for the individuals there, the, um, the sadness, the sorrow, the perplexity, the confusion, all, all the things, the fears. Lord, I think of Psalm 46, and you say, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Uh, Lord, would you draw near to your people uh, who are there in that region of the Lord? And Lord, would you draw near? Would you be a help to them? Spirit, you are the comforter. And so would you draw near and in the way, way that only you can draw near to your people and be that tangible sense, that, that comfort upon them. In the midst of all the chaos around them, not knowing what's coming next, um, Lord, would you just comfort them? Would they, would they find peace and rest in you in the midst of the, the chaos? And you go on in Psalm 46 saying, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Lord, that so well describes what times like these feel like. It feels like just choppy waters, chaos, the mountains crumbling. just feels like the world is giving way. Nothing is stable. Just chaos. And, and Lord, in this time, would you bring us the comfort of knowing that you are the Lord of heaven and earth, that you hold all things in your hands. 
You're the creator of those mountains, the creator of the sea. Lord, you hold it all together. And Lord, we take refuge in you. We don't know where to turn right now, Lord. We know that we can turn to you. We find that rest in you. Lord, we pray for the people in Ukraine. Lord, we pray for those suffering. We pray for those who are afraid, that you'd be close to them. You would protect them. Lord, you say that you make war cease to the end of the earth. You break the bow and you shatter the spear. You burn the chariots with fire. So be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Lord, would you in this time, would you bring in your might? Lord, would you end this conflict? Lord, it's, it's really beyond the complexity of us for us really to know on this side of the globe, to really fully understand everything going on. But Lord, just would you bring, just end the indiscriminate death of of people. Lord, would you just keep, protect people? Would you end this conflict? And so, Lord, we, we, we entrust this to you. Lord, we ask, ask you to work. We pray that you would work in the hearts of world leaders, that compassion and strength, wisdom would guide their choices, guide their decisions. And Lord, we pray just for, in this moment of crisis, that the church around the world, Lord, we would stand in solidarity, stand in solidarity with brothers and sisters in need, that we would walk in your ways, that we would, that your peace, your justice would become a reality, a tangible reality for the people in Ukraine and that part of the world. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be at work in the ways beyond our understanding. Even now, Lord, we pray, come Lord Jesus, have mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there, there is a lot going on in, in the world, right? Like we, we've been through, right now there's a lot going on, and this is right after an overwhelming few years. And um, recently, I've been, I've been seeing several articles, it seems like something with everything going on with Ukraine, it's kind of prompted now where they're going, man, like it's one thing to kind of weather one storm, a second storm, a third storm, let's say, you know, all the social unrest. Uh, pandemic, and then you have the political turmoil, and then you've got, you know, potentially like what's going on economically. You have all these things, and it's like one thing after another. And essentially what's happening is people are going, man, maybe I could push through a little bit, but it seems like there's kind of a, a breaking point that we're hitting. And there are these different studies that I'm reading where they're just saying, man, statistically, like people are really at a place where you could describe it as like the, the tread that it was on our spiritual tire, our emotional tire is just really worn down to almost nothing at this point. And so I read this this week. It was an article that was primarily about um, parents and how they're stressed out, but I think it'll capture just kind of the state of things now. It's a little bit lengthy, but I think it's worthwhile. It says, after two years of constant crisis, it's not surprising that Americans are stressed. But according to a new American Psychological Association poll, as a group, we were more stressed out than anyone previously realized, and parents are leading the pack. The organization's annual Stress in America poll, released Thursday, found that the pandem pandemic and record high inflation already stressed Americans, and when the Ukraine invasion began, our collective stress levels spiked. The original survey of 3,000 adult Americans was conducted in February and found that 87% of respondents were troubled by the continually rising costs of necessities like food and gas, the highest proportion of adults seen across all stressors asked about in the history of the Stress in America survey. A similarly high percentage said that they felt their mental health was negatively impacted by a constant stream of crises without a break over the last two years. Over 70% of parents said they feared the pandemic had negatively affected their children's social development, academic development, and emotional health or development. 68% said that they were concerned about their children's cognitive and physical development after two years of COVID protocols. 
parents compared to non-parents. We're more likely to name money, 80% versus 58%. Economy, 77.59. Housing costs, 72.39. As significant stress sources of stress. When the Russian invasion of Ukraine began, researcher, researchers completed a second poll with questions related to Russia and Ukraine. 80% of the over 2,000 respondents said they were concerned that Russia would retaliate with nuclear threats or cyber attacks and that the invasion has been terrifying to watch. 67% of those surveyed said that they felt the invasion could mark the start of World War III and lead to nuclear war. The number of people who said they're significantly stressed about these most recent events is running relative to what we've seen, uh, what we've seen since we began the survey in 2007. Over these uh, said Arthur Evans, Chief Executive Officer. Americans have been doing their best to persevere over these the past two tumultuous years, but these data suggest that we're now reaching unprecedented levels of stress that will challenge our ability to cope. In other words, there's to an extent, it's like, okay, we can cope, we can figure this out, we can kind of push through, we can just persevere. Okay, a little bit more, a little bit more. But then there comes this point like now where it's like, okay, we get in with the pandemic, we, we have all these things, and now it's like, wait, economic, uh, economic you know, recession, you know, you have the global f food supply. You start hearing all these things. You think about, okay, is there, is, what's this thing of nuclear war? Is it World War III? Like, it's just one thing after another. And then in, on top of that, we're stressed because we go, wait, is it, is it just kind of like manufactured? Is it amplified and exaggerated? Is it even real? And then we're stressed about trying to, like, we're doom scrolling all day, trying to sort through all the data, trying to understand all of it and get on top of everything, right? Maybe I'm alone, right? Not, but I don't think anyone's reading, like, when I read this survey, or this study here that anyone's like, what's he talking about, right? But I think in the midst of it, what's happening is there's this sense of what I would say kind of is bubbling up through the surface, where the cracks are happening, is a sense of desperation. Desperation. That there's kind of this place, and, and see, desperation, we could say, surfaces when we, we, for a long time, we live with a sense of security or a sense of sufficiency, and then we come to the end of that sufficiency. Something brings it up where you realize, man, I'm not sufficient for this. I'm not, I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm, not, um, I'm, not, I'm just not able in some way. And then out of that, because we've been thinking we're sufficient for something this whole time, then all of a sudden we realize we're insufficient and there's desperation. And desperation is, what do I do? Where do I turn? Who do I go to? What do I do with this? What we're going to see today, I, I think what's happening right now is there's this sense of desperation that's happening all around us, and it is really nothing new in terms of like the human experience. It's just it's amplified right now in the way that we're experiencing it. And what we're going to see today, we're going to be in John 4, and in John 4, continuing that series in John, uh, Jesus is going to interact with an official. And in this interaction, we're going to see him bring his desperation to Jesus. And as he brings his desperation to Jesus, Jesus is going to show him, what do we do with that desperation? So we're going to look at first is desperation. What, it, what is it? Where does it come from? And then faith, how do we respond? Who, where do we turn to trust? And then three, we're going to look at what to do with our desperation. What do we do with our desperation? Um, like I said, usually we, we stand and read God's word. So I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, we're going to be in John 4. Uh, part of why we do this, if you, if you don't know, why do we stand and do this? Like, um, I, I think it's really valuable as a church to acknowledge like we want to hear God's word before any person starts like commentating on it, teaching on it. So we want to hear God's word before we hear it taught. So this is just a way to, to add to that value. So John 4, beginning in verse 46 to the end of the chapter. 
This is the word of the Lord. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. John, uh, as he, he, we've seen again and again, John at each kind of point, he, he gives us a context for where he's going to go with this interaction. He's, he does something interesting here. He says, so he came to Canaan in Galilee where he turned water into wine. And what's interesting is he said, he, Jesus, he's, the he here is Jesus. Jesus came to Cana in Galilee and he gives us that point. And then he goes, and at Capernaum. And, and then the whole scene takes place in Capernaum. So you wonder, what, why did he add that first sentence there about Cana? Why did he cue us into the fact that Jesus kind of went to Cana and then he went to, to Capernaum and now this is where the whole scene's playing out? What John is doing is he's saying this is connected to actually what happened back at the beginning of chapter 2 when Jesus turned the water into wine in Cana. He's saying something has happened here in the gospel that I've been telling you, how I've been kind of ordering the events here that I, is significant that I want you to catch. This is kind of the culmination of it. And in fact, that also at the end in verse 44, 54, um, at Cana was the first sign. This is going to be the second sign. It's going to happen. And John has been addressing something. He's kind of organized the historical events to say, I want to address something here. Remember, at the end of the gospel, he says, I've written these things so that you might believe in the Son of God. I'm going to show you signs so you might believe in Jesus and find life in his name. And so what happens here is he's saying, since then, something has been highlighted. What has been highlighted? Back at the end of chapter 2, it kind of culminates then in Jesus, this phrase where it says, Jesus did not entrust himself to man because he knew what was in man. And what's happening after that is Jesus encounters men and women. He encounters Nicodemus. He encounters the religious leaders and the rulers and how they're organizing the temple. And he flips tables there. And then he encounters a woman at the well. He's encountering individuals again and again and again because he's saying there is something in you as human beings that is, is lacking that needs to be fulfilled by me. And so again and again, Jesus is highlighting and drawing out of people what's in us that needs to be addressed if we're going to see Jesus and we're going to find life in him. And, we, and this is why right away it says this official, but then in 47, when this man, and then again and again, this man, this man, this man, it's going to highlight the fact that Jesus is saying there's something in this man that he wants us to pay attention to. So the question is, what's in this man? Uh, the, uh, this word here, when it says that he's an official, it's, it's, a, it's a rare word that's, that's not used very commonly. And this word in the, in the Greek is the word basilikos, basilikos. Now, when I say that word basilikos, you may immediately hear an English word in there, basilica, 
right? Well, where the English word basilica comes from the, the word for king. This word for official is very, very close in the Greek to the word for king. And, and so it's kind of an ambiguous term, and they've translated it as an official, but here's the idea behind it. He was very, very close in association with the king, which would have been the tetrarch for this area at the time. We don't need to go into the governmental structure of the time. It's kind of complicated. But he would have had a lot of power. He would have had a lot of authority. He would have had all the resources that you could possibly want in the ancient world. As we'll see, he has servants. Think about, imagine just all these employees that are always at your becking call. And he has all of this. And what's being highlighted here is that this is a man who is as sufficient as you could be as a human being in this culture. He, he knew who you wanted to know. He had the resources you would need. He had all the power you could have. If you want anything done, you could just have somebody go do it and they would do it for you. But here's the thing. He has all, everything he needs except the one thing that he needs, which is the ability to cure his son. And so this man has lived sufficiently, just sufficient with everything, having all the money that he needs and having the ability to do whatever he wants to do and to know whatever he needs to know. And here he comes now to this situation where he can't fix it. He's probably tried to throw money at it. He's tried to hire all the best doctors and he's, his servants are running to and fro trying to care for his son. He's done everything you could possibly do. And what's happening now is he's coming to his, this place of insufficiency where it's the one thing he can't do and he's desperate. What's being highlighted here is this man is desperate and when we come up against the things that we realize finally at last we're not sufficient like we thought we were, we actually become desperate because we realize how limited and vulnerable we are. That's what's in man. And this is why when he comes to Jesus, it says in 47 that he went to him and asked him. That's what it says, at least in the ESV translation, which we usually use here at Anthem. The NIV probably translates it more uh, accurately where it says he begged him. He begged Jesus. The Greek is kind of this like to almost taking hold, like, please. He's, he's tried all of this, and he's heard of this man who's traveling around, and he's healed some people, and he's done these signs, and, and he wonders, maybe he could be the one who could solve this problem. And so he's come to Jesus, and he's begging him. He's desperate for Jesus to heal his son. And here's the thing. Perhaps, I think, right now, why we feel so acutely, the sense, I think, of desperation that's, that's welling up in us, like, where, where do we turn? What do we do? It is because I think for many of us, it's the first time really in our life we've consistently come up against something that we're not sufficient for. We realize our insufficiency. We realize our vulnerability. We realize our weakness. We realize that we're made in the image of God, which actually means that we're limited, which means we can't do all things. And so maybe we went through life where it's like, man, I've, I've been able to attain that next step. I've been able to make it into that. Maybe, you know, I made it into the major. Maybe I made it into the career field. Maybe I've, I make enough money. I provide. Uh, maybe I was able to raise kids and they're launched or wherever you're at. We, we have this or I've just never had to deal with any kind of health issues. And what has happened over the last two years is we've finally, for a lot of us, come up against something that has brought us to just the edge of our own sense of sufficiency, and we're going, what in the world do we do? Where do we turn? Now, it's, this is what happens to the official, and John says, watch him. He's saying nothing new is happening. He's saying, but watch what he does. When you realize you have this desperation, this is where it's coming from. But when you realize how insufficient you are, you realize you need one who is sufficient. So watch this one. 
before going there, I just want to highlight why I think it's interesting to contemplate for us why this is hitting us so hard right now, where it just, it's so overwhelming. And I think it's because we do live in a world where technology has amplified that sense that we're sufficient. Just one aspect of life that we could talk about in the modern world. Because I think in the West, this is almost a crushing reality that's hitting us right now, just this, just uh, not knowing where to turn. And, and here's what I mean by that. Um, Psalm 139 is a great place where you can go. And you can read about the, what's called the omnis of God. Okay, the omnis of God. So God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, and God is ever-present. So you can't say all-present. sounds weird, but you get what I mean. So God's the all, the omnis, the alls. That's what omni means. And so God is that, but we're made in his image, so we're limited and we are not that. But what happens is when you're in a kind of, you live a life where actually technology will actually make you think, perhaps actually I am the omnis. Think, think about it for a little bit. Like, all-powerful, that we can overcome anything. We, we have apps. Like, if I were in another part of the world, I could literally take out my phone, open up an app with a map on it while I'm driving around, and it will immediately tell me wherever I am how to get to my destination, right? Like, you may be reading this and going, man, this official, he had, he had servants and all that. I don't have those kind of resources. I don't, I'm not sufficient in that way. I'm not like that. But listen, you literally have a servant in your pocket on your phone named Siri, right? And at any point, you can take her out and you go, Siri, and she goes, yes, right? Here I am, right? And then you tell her, how do I get to the store? How do I get food? How do I get this? And she just, blah, 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 she tells you. And not only does she tell you, but she actually guides you and she gives you responses based upon all of your search history and all your likes and dislikes and all that. And she, she brings it all together and she just spits out exactly what you want at any point 24-7. Like you can, you can literally in, in this world, think about in world history, how hard it was, just food scarcity to provide for yourself. We literally worked all day and then and broke our backs in order just to get enough grain crushed out to make some bread. And then for like dinner, you had like a pita loaf and you're like, mm, I'm full, right? Like it's just, and then we can literally take out an app and we just boop, 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 boop. And then a few minutes later, some guy shows up with a full pizza, right? And just like, and you can eat that. Like, we have an amazing sense of power, if you think about it. But then second, all-knowing, that we can solve anything. Again, you can take out your phone. You can have any kind of, you can get data within seconds. You can find out the answer to questions immediately. You just search it into Google, right? And it immediately gives you the data that you need. But also, because we're all-knowing, what's interesting is that we can see things almost in real time and know anything going on in the world at any moment. We know details of what's going on in the Ukraine within minutes of them happening. I mean, it is, if you think about it, it is literally, in human history, human beings have never had such a God's eye view of everything going on in the world. We've never had such a, a God-sized sense of power. We can jump on jets and traverse. Remember, not even 100 years ago, they had never crossed the Atlantic in a plane. We fly in jets and we get annoyed because we can't use our phones up in a jet going over to Europe in a matter of hours. And so we have power and then we have this knowledge, but it's this God-level view of knowledge. And we think at all times we can have all the data. We can, we can run through all the data. We can figure out all the things. And then lastly, we have this being this sense of being ever-present. We, over the last two years, it's called Zoom, Right? Like at any point, I could be right now, within moments, I could be right there talking to someone, seeing their face who's in India. That's unbelievable. 
But with that, that means that we have this sense of, okay, we have power and we should solve the things that are going on in the world. Now we have a God-level knowledge of everything that's going on in the world and we can see what's going on in the world. And so how do we solve this? How do we fix it? And then we come to this, this idea that we can be everywhere and we can be all the things for all the people when in fact we can't. In other words, what's happening, what's coming together, I think, right now in the, in the West for modern people is this sense that we've been curating this idea that we are really sufficient for all these things. But as it's been amplified, we realize we actually, we're not God and we can't do this. We're not sufficient. And out of that, desperation sets in. We are made in the image of God, which means we exercise power. We seek knowledge. We seek to understand. We seek to be a present. But we can't be the omnis. But it's easy to believe that we are the omnis, so we come up against things that we can't fix, problems we can't solve, hurts we can't heal. We all live with a sense of sufficiency until something comes up that reveals our insufficiency, and that's when desperation rises in our soul. The question is, to who or to what do we turn And when we realize that, when we have that desperation? That's where the official shows us. So what does faith look like? Jesus' reply in verse 48 is intriguing. So the man comes to Jesus, and he says, my son's at the point of death, right, in 47. Will you heal my son? I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix this. I, I can't do this. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's an interesting response, isn't it? Now, one thing, there's a lot of different things we could unpack with that response. But what, what's Jesus saying? Well, notice what he doesn't say. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't scoff at him. He doesn't kind of sneer at him and go, wait, oh, now you come to me, right? Like, oh, all this time, now you come to me, now your son's in trouble, and now you, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. No, but what he does say is he says, he's unpacking what's going on here. He's saying, until you encounter my sufficiency in the face of your insufficiency, you won't really see your need for me. Until you see me do what you cannot do, until you see me do signs and wonders, until you do, until I do the thing that you know, there's no way I could ever do this, until I do that. You won't really trust me. There's something in you where you'll trust yourself. You'll trust things around you, but you won't really trust me. So when you see these signs, when you see these wonders, you realize that I am the sufficient one. And so this belief, when Jesus says believe, just to be clear, another word for belief is a word for trust or faith. They're really kind of all the same Words, where it means to believe, means that you place your trust, that you go, you're the one who's sufficient, where I'm not sufficient. And so that idea of faith in the Bible is kind of this turning. It's, it's two, two sides. It means both you turn from your own sense of sufficiency. You acknowledge you're insufficient. But then you turn to Jesus and you say, by faith, you trust in him. You say, I'm going to turn away from just trying to be sufficient in myself. I'm going to turn to you and I will let you be sufficient in all things. You'll be the grounding of my sense of sufficiency. We see this again and again in Scripture. Our insufficiency, lack of power to save ourselves, fix our souls, fix the world around us. We need God to remedy. He's the creator. He's the one who saves. Our insufficiency to know, to solve everything, or create, you know, create 
our own truth and live by it. We realize we need God to actually reveal truth so that we know what to live by, to make sense of the world. Our insufficiency to be everywhere, doing everything, meeting every need, but and have a sense that God is at work, that God is the one who goes before us. God is the one who sustains all things. And what happens is if we live, even because here's the thing, even this is tricky, because even as if you're a professing Christian, it's easy to actually believe functionally as if, yeah, 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 I know I have my faith in Jesus, I have my faith in God, but functionally in our day-to-day lives to go, before, go through our lives with everything that's going on around us, believing that actually we're the sufficient ones, that actually it's all on us. And here's the thing, what Jesus is saying here is that's not going to give you life, that's not going to give you freedom because actually that's going to put the crushing weight of being God on you. If you live constantly with everything around you going, okay, how can I figure out all the details and just doom scroll, doom scroll, doom scroll, doom scroll, doom scroll. So you're trying to figure out everything that's going on and get all the data and figure it all out. Constantly thinking you have to be there for every single problem, fixing every single thing until you just blow out. The thing is you're not created for that. You can't at some point be that. It'll rob you of life. One of the, um, you know, there's, there's a phrase that's, that's thrown around that I, I think this is what's happening here and happens in our life, how God surfaces this sense of sufficiency within us. Uh, you know, the, you'll hear it often, God won't give you more than you can handle. Now, I don't want to be too like, bam, but here's what I'll say. I would call that into question because here's what I've seen again and again, and I've experienced in my own life, oftentimes... God will give you more than you can handle. And that's the whole point. Because what happens is when God gives us more than we can handle, it brings us to the end of our own sense of sufficiency. We realize our insufficiency, and then we come to him and we discover his sufficiency. In in other words, oftentimes God does this in our lives, and it's a grace to us because what it does, it reveals where we're trying to be God, we're trying to be sufficient, and it's killing us. And so right now, I think what's going on in the world, I mean, there's, it's way complex to get your arms around all of it, but here's what I know. I know God is in control, and I know in the midst of what God is saying is, listen, if you're coming to a place of being desperate and realizing you're not sufficient, then good. This is the opportunity to turn your heart to me and find your sufficiency in me. You can find peace. You can find rest in me. Now, what does it look like? How do we begin taking that step of faith? What does it look like to begin to find that sufficiency in Christ? Well, here, watch what comes next. Watch the official. Starting in verse 49, it says, The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now, it's interesting because he responds, Jesus gives him this, until you see signs and wonders you will not believe. And you expect, right, like the guy's going to be like, Oh, Lord, help my unbelief, right? Like one of these other New Testament, this is one of the only places where it's like kind of the, the response is a little tepid. Like, there's not, like, some great confession of faith. Like, he, he's, he, goes, he doesn't say, Jesus, oh, you are the Son of God. You can heal my son, right? Like, we expect that. We see that in the Gospels. Often people respond that way in their faith. But this doesn't give us, like, this great response. Yet Jesus says in 50, go, your son will live. Now, isn't that interesting? There isn't, like, this amazing, like, confession of faith. Yet Jesus heals his son, 
And it's understandable why the man would respond this way. I mean, Jesus saying, until you see signs and wonders, and Jesus, this man's just in a daze, and he's just like, my son's going to die at any moment. And he's just, he's desperate, and he's just bringing it to Jesus. It's, it's understandable. It's, if any of us were in that situation. But hardly an amazing confession of faith. So the, the question is, because often we approach these texts and we go, I know how we tend to read them. I remember I used to read them this way, and I go, wait, what, what did he do right? Because Jesus answered his prayer. So, like, did he, like, what's the technique here, right? Like, what's the right way to ask God? And then if you have this kind of faith and it's demonstrated this way, then God's like, ding, you triggered my benevolence, right? And then I'll just answer all your prayers, right? Like, but this isn't, this isn't presented as, like, what's the technique here? But there is a point here of what the man does. In other words, we could say like this, what, what does he do right? Like, what, what does he do right that Jesus honors his request? We could say honors his prayer. Come back to that. Well, here's the thing. The official, we could say the official didn't have, a, like, amazing, mind-blowing faith. The, the official didn't have this, like, confession of it. He didn't even understand probably Jesus is the Son of God. All he knew was that Jesus did miracles and he healed people. So he's come to him at this point. He doesn't know how, he doesn't really understand who Jesus is fully. He doesn't know if Jesus will do it. But here's the thing. The point is not the faith of the official. The point is that he had the right object of his faith. In other words, the point is who he went to. The point is not just how the man, like, oh, man, this, this man has amazing faith. And so he went to Jesus. The point is that he went to Jesus, and that was enough to save his son. Let me unpack this, because he didn't know if Jesus would do it. He didn't know whether, how Jesus would do it. He didn't even know who Jesus really was, yet he directed his faith to Jesus. It's, in other words, it's not a matter so much of how much faith or this experience, like subjective experience of faith that we can have it's more about what is the object of the faith we have. That is the primary point of this. I, I've used this illustration before because you might be like, uh, unpack that a little bit for me. Um, uh, regarding, it's an illustration using the Titanic, okay? About how we put, what it means to place our faith, the object of faith, and why it matters. Why it is of eternal significance. If... Um, if you were to be one of those people, remember when the Titanic set out, right? It's like, it's the greatest ship ever built. We know how the story ends, right? If not, spoiler alert, it sinks. Um, so with the, uh, the, the Titanic, it sets out, it's the greatest ship ever built, and they said it was unsinkable. It was unthinkable that it would sink. And, and so everyone gets on this ship, and you know, like the Monopoly guy walking around with a little like glass piece in his eye, and he's like walking around with his little cigar, and he's like, ah, oh, it's the greatest ship ever. He had great faith in the ship. Amazing faith. He could have told you all about the intricacies of it. Remember, if we saw the movie Monopoly, it hits the iceberg, and they're just walking around on the deck, and they're like, it's fine. People go back to your cabin, right? Do not pass go, right? And so as they're going over, sorry, as they're... <laughs> So he's calling them, like, have faith in the ship. But the ship sinks, and they perish. He had great faith, but the thing his faith was in didn't make it. 
The point here is, is your faith in something that will bring you to the other side? Is your faith in the one who is all-knowing? Is your faith in the one who is all-powerful? Is your faith in the one who is ever-present and able to comfort you and be there in your time of need? In other words, the idea is, what is the thing that your faith is in? See, I, I hate ocean water. Like my wife tried to get me on go on cruises plenty of times, and I'm like, if I go on a cruise, I'll be in the middle of that like smoky stack thing, just clinging to it, just screaming the entire time, right? And but I, if at the same time, it's like if I've got if that ship I'm on is a ship that will get to the other side, it doesn't matter if I have to use Jesus' words, faith of a mustard seed. If my faith is in the right object, if my faith is in the one who will bring me to the other side, if my faith is in the one who has the power and the knowledge and he is good and he is true and he is present, then he will bring me through to the other side. In other words, he is sufficient. It matters what the object of our faith is because of our faith, it can be as great, it can be as, it can have the most articulate faith in the world and you can just have faith in faith. But that's not the point. The point is to have faith in Jesus. And Jesus is saying, come to me. I am the one who's going to reveal to you all of the power of the universe because I can save your souls. I can bring you through to the other side, the ultimate enemy of death. And right here, he says, look, it's a sign. I conquer death. I have power over the grave. Your greatest enemy, I will conquer it. You have hope because of that. The worst that can happen is you die and then you wake up in glory. I know all things and all the perplexity and the overwhelming just barrage of data and knowledge and different people's ideas and what's fake news and what's real news and all this stuff. In the midst of it, he says, I am wisdom. I am truth. You can know this one thing and you can cling to me. And I am the one who is present. I know you. I know every hair on your head. I know every sinew and bone in your body. I know the days of your life. And I draw near by my spirit. And I want, I came incarnate in the flesh because I want to be near you. I want you to be with me. And I will be there and I will be a comfort in the midst of it. See, what happens is, and what it's saying here is that we... Faith admits, I can't fix everything. I can't solve every problem. I can't meet every need, but I know who can, and I'm going to him. And listen, if, if, if in times, especially like this, in our desperation, when it wells up, think about it. Like we realize we're not sufficient, and then we realize we're not sufficient. It wells up, and oh, I'm desperate. Where do I turn? Where do I turn? And we start grabbing on to whatever passing ship is coming through. Whatever seems to be the ideology or the person or the leader or the movement or whatever it is that's coming by with the best branding and has the best sales pitch, and we grab onto it and we go, this is the thing that will float. This is the thing that will bring me to the other side. In other words, we are so easily controlled. We're so easily just seduced to these things when we are in this vulnerable place where we're just going, who is strong enough? Well, guess what? The strong man rises up. The strong movement rises up. So where do we turn our souls? Where do we turn in desperation? Jesus is saying, I don't want you to grab thing after thing, like almost like that, like in a runaway train when everything's chaotic and you're grabbing hold of that bar, just hoping something will be steady, something will anchor my life, something will give me stability, something will just give me just a moment of rest and peace, and then it just keeps breaking and failing you. She says, I don't want you to live like that. I want you to live with life in me. 
I think right now there's so many things. I don't know where I'm at on here. Right now, <laughs> right now there are so many things we have to make decisions on practically every day, right? We have to decide, like, this political party or that political party. We have to decide this movement or that movement. How do we think about it? This response or that response to a crisis. There is so much every day. Here's the thing. We're going to have to think hard about those things. There's no silver bullet, easy solution. We have to live lives in this world, right? But at the same time, here's what Jesus is saying. It's, he's not saying those things don't matter. But what he's saying is if you don't have that initial, like your soul is anchored in me, if you're coming to me for that sufficiency, ultimately, if you know I hold your life in your hands, if you know that if you're turning to me, coming to me, knowing, Lord, I know you, if it's happening, Lord, I can trust you, and you are the place for my life, you are my sufficiency. I'll find my peace in you. And we keep coming to him. He says, if you're not in that place and you're living desperate, what's going to happen is all the things that are going around you, no wonder in a world that is losing God in the midst of it, we're just getting these polarized camps because they're just polarized camps going after all of humanity who has no moorings. In the midst of that desperation, you just get the extreme things. No, this way, no, this way. We're just going to get rocked back and forth until we just get dashed upon the rocks. In the midst of it, Jesus says, anchor your soul in me. Find your sufficiency in me. Then what happens then if your soul finds that sufficiency, then you can go out into society and you can begin to be more of a steady and faithful presence in the middle of the chaos. Saying, come to me. It reminds me of uh, my wife, Lauren, a few years ago. We were doing this uh, like relationship panel <clears throat> and uh, this person asked a question to Lauren. He goes, how do you know you can trust Matt? Which my first thing was, where's that question coming from? But, <laughs> like, not to cheat on you, you know, all this stuff. Like, how do you trust your husband? Not, you know, all the things. And uh, I guess embezzle money, whatever. Um, whatever people do. And, and my wife starts, she goes, I don't. Which then I'm like, say what? Right? It's <laughs> so like, I need to talk to you, and we need to talk afterwards. But she said, I don't, and I remember she went on, she said, I, 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 don't, I don't trust Matt ultimately. I trust the work the Lord is doing in him. See, what, what happens often in our lives is we, it, it cap, she, she just captures something that was so wise and subtle, which was, yes, I'm, I'm going to build a life with you. We're, we're in the boat of life together, right? And it's going to be choppy and up and down, but ultimately I'm not trusting my soul and building my sense of identity and investing myself just in you, but instead I'm learning to trust the Lord and then in trusting him, I have peace because I can trust him. Matt, I'm sorry, but you're a little bit of a chaotic up and down, right? Like ultimately my soul can't be anchored in you. And praise God because you know how crushing that would be for me as a husband? Do you know how crushing it is for you with one another as friends, as church members, as, I'm sorry, but as citizens of a country to be relying on one another to be that source of stability? Ultimately, that source of stability, our souls are meant to find it in the Lord. And when we find it in the Lord, then we go to the Lord and we ask, Lord, will you change his heart? Will you move him this way, right? And then we engage with one another. That's what it looks like. Find that first in the Lord. Go to the Lord. Let's think about it. When have we last cried out to the Lord in the midst of all the things going on and actually cried out to the Lord before we cried out on social media? It's the new place where we pray. Only if we live before man, then it makes sense that we would pray because we cry out to where our help comes from. 
See, so easily we lose our source of sufficiency. And what Jesus is saying here is come to me, you who are filled with doubts, you who are filled with pain, you who are filled with fear, you who don't know how to make sense of what's coming tomorrow. Come to me. Start with me wherever you're at. Just a mustard seed. Come to me. Discover my sufficiency. And that's where we turn lastly to what do we do with our desperation? So we realize we have this desperation. We realize that's going on. How do we come to him? Again, this, this isn't saying like we have the right prayer technique. God will give us what we want, right? It's not what this is saying. But I think what the point is is what the result of what happens when we experience Jesus' sufficiency. Look at 53 through 51. As he was going down, his servants came to him and told him that his son was recovering. So Jesus said, go, your son will live. And I, I think sometimes, too, in the Gospels, there isn't, you know, sometimes Jesus, like, gives a wet willy, heals the guy with mud in his ears, right? If you haven't read it, go read it. Uh, but, you know, he does all this stuff. And sometimes the, the, we almost make it formulaic. Like, well, Jesus did it this way because he did this thing. And then, and then we come up with all kinds of crazy stuff. So sometimes in the Gospels, what they do, they're like, no, Jesus did it all different ways. Look, he wasn't even there physically with the guy. He had power to heal him because he's ever present. He had power to heal him because he's all powerful. He had power to heal him because he was all knowing. He knew where he was. He knew what he needed. He knew every atom in his body and the cells, and he knew how to fix it and heal him. He's the omni. He's the sufficient one. And so he comes to Jesus, and he experiences then this change. He asked him the hour that they, he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. Now see this, what happens? And he himself believed in all his household. So this man realizes he's the one who's all-powerful. He's the one who's all-knowing. He's the one who is ever-present and able to heal my son, even when I'm here trying to get the resources, trying to get the person to go heal him. And now he realizes Jesus is everything. And he begins to realize, even with all the resources I have and all the power I have and all the employees and servants I have, all of this, in the end, at the end of the day, that's not where my sufficiency is found. He still had all those things. But what happens is he begins to use them. Imagine what happens here. His whole household comes to faith. Why did they probably come to faith? Because this whole time they've been seeing dad, they've been seeing their husband. Remember, he has, this means his wife, his children, his employees. Like that's what household would have been in the ancient world. And his, his kids had always seen, oh, dad's the sufficient one. He's powerful. Look how well he's respected. He's the one who has it all together. His wife sees, oh, he's a provider and he's a protector, right? And then he has these employees like, man, my boss is just on top of the world. He's respected by everyone. And in the midst of it, what happened was they begun to worship him. They looked to him. And it, his life preached to them, I am sufficient. Be like me. This is salvation. And what they began to see was even in the midst of the riches, even in the midst of all the stuff, what he's saying is, listen, I've got all this stuff. It's great. God has given me means to steward this for his glory. But I ultimately, what I want you to see is that it's actually, I'm completely dependent upon him. He healed your brother. He healed your son. He healed your brother because he is the one who is all powerful. He is the efficient one. And he began to give glory to God with the means that he had in his life. And the people saw it and they saw a man who lived dependent on the Lord, not driven by insecurity not driven by always trying to prove that he's the savior of the world and that changed his family. The reason why I highlight that is moms, dads, wherever, here's what I'd say, wherever you have influence, 
understand that people are looking at, yes, we can profess Christ, but right now they're looking at you and they're seeing how you model faith, how you model that dependence in the midst of your desperation. Do they see you? I've been thinking about this lately. Like the other day, I was just going on and on about stuff and I realized my kids are listening and I'm thinking, I mean, I, I literally stand up in public and talk about Jesus, and then the conduct of my life is modeling this, like, desperate, like, clinging to a political party or desperately clinging to this leader or this movement, like, just desperately doing this. And my kids are seeing. They can tell. They're not dumb. They can tell what I really believe, what I really trust. And listen, that's going to leave a legacy if I don't begin to model for them this, not this kind of idea that, oh, he talks about Jesus, but he really clings to this. That's where his salvation is really found. His hope is really found. So I would say right now, are there places where you can model? And so I want to model by with things going on, going, you know what, kids, let's, let's actually pray for what's going on around the world. Let's pray for this thing here. Let's go before the Lord because we're really, I don't know how to make sense of all of it. Here's how I kind of think we can do. Here's a response. But let's go to the Lord. He's the one. It's all in his hands. There is hope in him. I want to model that for them. You can model that in powerful ways. Imagine the trajectory, how this changed his family tree. And the same thing right now, it is such an opportunity for us to model faith, truly having faith in Jesus, and in the midst of figuring out how to navigate everything in the world. It's going to take a lot of wisdom, but we have to anchor our souls first in Jesus. God is powerful enough to do whatever we ask. We should go to him. He can change anything. He moves king's hearts, it says in the Psalms. God is all-knowing. God, he knows all the things. He can see it all so we can trust in his response. And God is always present, so he knows what is best for us. So we know it's not just about, like, how do I pray the, when we talk about, like, going to God and turning in faith in him. It's not just about getting the right outcome, but it's actually trusting him in the midst of it. In fact, actually, the whole point of prayer and bringing our hearts to God then is continuing to learn to trust him in his response. There's a great quote, a pastor named Tim Keller. He's a pastor in um, New York City wrote a book on prayer. He says this, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. Isn't that great? In other words, we do always get an answer. We do always get a response. It just might not be the response we like, but in the midst of it, and sometimes we do get what we want, but at the same time, what happens is in the midst of it, God is teaching us how to trust him, to find him as sufficient. And what happens, guys, in the midst of a world right now there's so much chaos, and, and I'm not like you, and then I'm a pastor, so I don't have, a, I'm telling, like, there are days, man, when I'm like, I start going through Twitter, and I'm like, stop, 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 look away, stop, stop, right? Like, you're just, you're just sucked in, and you're, and there's just something about it where it's like, what do we do here? And, but I know at the end of the day, I try to find all knowledge through just doom scrolling. I get so overwhelmed by trying to be all powerful, where I get grumbly and complaining. That's what my kids say, grumbly and complaining. Trying to fix everything, control it, try to get busy, my presence everywhere, trying to fix everything, everyone at the same time. But here's the thing, and I know there's probably something for you where you go, yes, this is where I can see where I'm doing, how it's manifesting. But Jesus said, don't live that way. Stop. Come to me. He says in Matthew's gospel, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is, like, is light. Do you believe that, that Jesus is inviting you to find that rest for your soul in this time in him? 
Out of that, there will have to be a lot of gritty action. Yes, every day. Trying to figure things out and how to navigate the world, but anchor here first. Find that rest in Christ first. This is his invitation in the midst of Ukraine and that whole situation, wherever the economy goes, wherever the political and social unrest goes, everything with the pandemic and whatever's, all the eco concerns, everything. Here's the thing, none of us know how it will turn out. And no one who tells you they know how it will turn out knows. But we know the one who does and holds it in his hands and he calls us to himself and he says, find rest in me, you who are weary. When it feels like everything is ill around you, come to me. Find life in me. I would encourage you this week, open up Psalm 139. Psalm 139, read through it, and you're going to see parts where he talks about unpacking, like how God's everywhere at once, how he's ever-present, how he's all-powerful, and then also how God is all-knowing. And in the midst of it, what's interesting in that, and this is what happens when we learn to come to Jesus and find our sufficiency there. The psalm opens at first with, search my heart and know me, O God. And then the psalm ends with those same words. Why? Because the psalmist comes before God and he says, Lord, search me, know my heart, and reveal if there's anything in me. And he's crying out to him. And what does God do? God doesn't go, well, here's actually what's going on in your life, and here's a mirror to your life. And blah, blah. No, God says, actually, let me show you myself. Find my sufficiency. See me, drink deeply for me over and over and over again. When you come up against your own insufficiency, come and find my sufficiency. Look into my glory, see who I am. And as you do that, what happens at the end is you actually have a better knowledge of yourself and more stable understanding of what's going on all around you. It will anchor you, it will root you. If you'll turn to Christ, make a habit every day of just going, go before the Lord and write down, open up a psalm, open up some scripture and just write down, God, here are all the things right now. Here's where I'm desperate. Lord, here's what's coming up. Write it down. Lord, what is true in these things? How can I turn to you? Whatever it is, every day, take time to go before him and go, Lord, show me your sufficiency. Ask him. I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned about the economy. I'm concerned about polar ice caps. I'm concerned whatever it is. Lord, I'm concerned. Lord, show me. I'm going to bring it before you. I'm going to find my peace in you. And then, Lord, show me how I should act in faithfulness in the midst of this, from that place of being anchored. In your desperation, when the world feels like it's coming apart, you can trust him. Why? Because only Jesus entered a world at war with sin, broken and devastated, and trusted in the Father who knew a more perfect hour than the hour here of the Son when he was saved. A more perfect hour when Jesus climbed upon a cross to absorb God's wrath against all the world's desperate attempts to save itself and to put an end to it, rising three days later in a better resurrection, one that he extends to you and me, one that even death cannot conquer. And now he has ascended to the Father's right hand, interceding, praying for us, requesting our good, and he invites us, come to me, come to the Father's side. Come to the one who is the omni, who's what you're looking for, who's sufficient. So are you desperate? Go to him, cry out to him, trust him. And when you do, you'll come to the end of your sufficiency and the beginning of his. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the sufficiency of Christ. Lord, we thank you for 
Lord, just in the midst of all this, the things going on, that, Lord, there's no, it's, it's too complex. We, in our sin, we've made things too complex, and trying to solve, we've made too complex, and it's, Lord, we, we want to iron things out. We want to figure things out, but in the midst of it, Lord, in our desperation, we turn to so many things. Lord, keep us from grabbing a hold of anything but you. And, and Lord, as we grab a hold of you, as we find our sufficiency in you, Lord, would that lead to lives of, of peace with others, even peace with others who we disagree with? Lord, that we would find unity amongst brothers and sisters. Lord, that it would lead to really strong action in places where you called us to act. Because, Lord, there's a conviction there because our actions flow out of hearts that are anchored in a reality, which is Christ. And so, Lord, would you anchor our hearts in Christ so that we might find our sufficiency in him? And, Lord, would you give your people rest? Would you call us to yourself? Spirit, would you do that work? Throughout our days, would you call us, call to mind the sufficiency of Christ, and would you bring it home in our hearts? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.